Deep in God's Word is a Bible study for women. Each month, your host, Cindy Colley, will discuss the study highlights and answer some of your questions. You can find more information about the Digging Deep Bible Study at thecolleyhouse.org. Now let's grab our shovels and dig into the meat of God's Word. Good evening and welcome to the very first edition of the Great Escapes podcast. It is September of 2017 and we are studying the verse 1 Corinthians 10:13 which says there hath no temptation taken you but as such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. What a great source of comfort that is. We're going to dig right into the study after our co-host, Lindsay. We're so glad that you're here tonight. Lindsay Van Hook is going to lead us in prayer, and then we will get started. All right, let's pray. Our God and Father, we come before you tonight um, with humility, with gratitude for the chance that's before us to open your word, to discuss it together, to learn more from it and uh, to grow. We are so thankful for every woman who is behind a screen tonight um, taking part in this and for everyone who will watch it afterward. And we pray that the most good possible can be done for every person who, um, who participates in it, not just in this podcast, but in the study. Lord, we understand that so many women are... Um, going to be affected by this, not just because they're studying, but because they um, are friends and associates and family members of the people who do this. So we pray just that ultimately so much good can come from this study and this podcast tonight. We pray that you'll help us to have discerning hearts and hearts that love truth and are willing to um, hear it and believe it and obey it no matter what. And we just pray that you'll be glorified through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. We do want to welcome every single person who is in the chat room and who will be listening later. But we especially want to welcome new women. We have lots and lots of women who haven't been in a part of a Digging Deep study before. And we are very thankful for those of you who might be new. If there are questions that you have, uh, feel free to contact me through Facebook or put those questions on the group. We have several uh, veterans who know the answers most of the time to um, logistic questions that you might have, and we want to help you. We want to make it easy for you to do the study. Um, I also want to mention that it's, uh, it's okay if you don't get every single question of every single chapter in the book done. It's great if you can. Of course, the more you do and the more podcasts you're able to listen to, maybe the more you'll get out of the study. But just because you can't do every single bit of it, don't feel like that you're left behind or that you won't. Uh, get something out of it because every little part that we do helps us to grow in his word. We're going to read it one more time. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. 
So let's talk just by way of introduction a little bit, Lindsay, about the words that are in this verse, which is the rock, the anchor of our study for the next 12 months. Um, the word no, first of all. And, and before we even get to the words, Lindsay, do you think we're talking about uh, when we say there has no temptation taken you? What's a temptation? Is it a temptation to sin or could it be broader than that? I think it could be that beyond and beyond, you know. Uh, any kind of adversity that could could pull us away from, you know, our relationship with so, God. So it could be a temptation to sin or a trial. Mm-hmm. But in the end, we would have to say that there's a sense in which those are the same mm-hmm. because we know that God's not going to provide a way of physical escape for every danger right. in which his children find themselves. For instance, um well, we could say Stephen in Acts chapter 7, his way of escape there from the trial through which he was going was death. Mm -hmm. And we can say that about all the martyrs of the New Testament. And we can see uh, from 1 Corinthians 11, we can see see, 2 Corinthians 11, I think it is, we can see how that Paul uh, listed all those trials that he had gone through. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't always a physical, a good physical outcome. So... In the end, we have to say that a temptation to sin and a trial are the same in the outcome because it's not a physical escape that God is giving us. It is an escape, whether the trial is a direct temptation, a lust of the flesh that we have, or a trial that we're going through. What God is saying is you can be a Christian and endure either one of those Mm -hmm. things without falling to sin. So... uh, I wanted to point that out and then just look at some of the words. The first word, no, is a really exclusive word, Mm -hmm. which is going to tell us that absolutely every temptation or trial that we fall to is going to fit the characteristics that, that he's listed in this verse. So, no temptation has taken us, but such as is common. What does that word common mean there? Oh, and the Greek word there means belonging to human beings. Which is, to me, interesting. So what it's really saying is that um, other people have been through every single Mm -hmm. trial. What's the one person we know that's been through every sort of trial? Jesus. Jesus, because, of course, he's described in the New Testament as being the high priest that has um, been through every kind of temptation Mm -hmm. known to man. So then, because it actually in all points, is, yeah. I guess the um, King James Version says yeah. that he was tempted in all points like as we are. And then the word faithful, actually uh, the word faithful is descriptive of God there. And we are going to come across that phrase lots of times in our study because he is faithful to provide a way of escape. And then the phrase, will not, and in the King James, it's will not suffer. What does your version have? Will not suffer um, you to be tempted above that you are able. ESV is he will not let you be tempted. Okay. It's, he, it's God's not going to allow it. There mm-hmm. are certain things that God is just not going to let happen. And I love that one. He is promising us here that he just, as our father, is not going to let this happen. As a parent, Lindsay, are there things that you, to the very best of your ability, are not going to let happen to your children? Sure, yeah. And can think of lots of those physical. You're not going to, 
ever let them be in a situation where you know someone's a child molester, mm-hmm. for instance. Well, the you know God looks at the devil as the one who can molest our souls, and He is not going to let us be in a situation where He's going to going to let the devil win by default. He He is. We are protected against that situation. So I love that. And then you were pointing out in our West Huntsville study the word able. Um, and you said there's something you really like about that word. Do you remember that? Um, just the fact that he knows each of us and what, what our abilities are, and he mm. makes an escape for, for every situation, mm. you know, based I love on what that. we can handle. Yeah, he, he is not going to give us more than we are able to bear. And as a, I don't know, you could look at this from a lot of parenting ways, but as a homeschooling mom, you know, I knew what to expect of two different children, only had two, but I knew that of which they were capable. And so I wasn't going to ask one to do something that the other one was very, very good at, especially in the presence of the other one, knowing that it would be a failure for that child that I was calling on. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what this is saying. This is saying that God knows us as his children, mm-hmm. and he is able to... Um, I guess, sort of um, regulate the amount of trial or temptation to which we're exposed. And that's a, an amazing yeah. thought to think about. And so he will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. That is just the direct promise. And I'm, I'm hoping that by the end of our study, you will see both God's part in providing that way of escape and our part in having the character of heart, putting on Christ to the extent that we, we have the boldness that we should have. We have the ingenuity that we should have. We have the prayerful attitude that we should have. And that in the end, we will be better prepared always to find mm-hmm. that way of escape. That's our, um, our goal for the study. So let's go on over then to the very first month, and this time we're talking about escaping with the blood. So, Lindsay, what is the largest dilemma, the biggest problem, always the hugest heartache that we will ever know? It's always sin. It's always the, sin. The damage it does to us here and, and you know, in eternity. And in, in eternity, correct. So, um, the first thing that we actually were assigned to do is to listen to a sermon about from Luke 15 about the prodigal son and come up with four characteristics of sin from Luke 15. And so tell us a little bit about that. Just elaborate on those four things for us. Well, the the first one, um, and this was in Caleb's sermon, um, he talked about how sin has a strong and blinding appeal. And we talked about this a good bit at our discussion group about how it just makes us so blind and, and deaf to counsel and, and we just don't think clearly or see clearly when um, we're tempted by sin very often. And that's before the sin. That's when we are desiring whatever mm-hmm. it is that is the illicit desire, the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. It's blinding to us. And we, we can't see the negative consequences out in front of us, we, even though the Word has told us that mm-hmm. they're there. Uh, we can't hear wise counsel at those times how many times I don't know Glenn and I have counseled with people 
And it's so obvious to us as 57-year-olds that you're making a huge mistake in your marriage, for instance, mm -hmm. or in your parenting. This is huge, and there are going to be big consequences. But at the time when sin is in front of us and when we have decided that this is a direction that we'd like to go, we can't, we're they're deaf. Mm -hmm. They're not listening to us. Mm -hmm. And so sin has a strong and blinding appeal. What's the next one? Um, the uh, second one was that sin brings ruin. Um, and he referenced Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, about how our sins separate us um, from God and Romans 6, 23, and how the wages of sin is death. And, and when you look at that parable, you really see how ruined the prodigal son mm, was. And how far did he go? He went to the, to the pig pen. Yeah, all yeah. the way to the pig pen. And for a young Jewish boy, that was, or even a, an adult, that was really a far way mm -hmm. down because that was um, a they were not to own swine. They were not to touch swine. That was an unclean animal. They were not to eat pork. And for him to be wishing to, it, it says that he wished he could eat the food that the pigs were eating. Not that, you know, sometimes we say he ate the pig food. He did not eat it because it was not given to him. He wished that he could eat the pig food. And so getting pretty, um, pretty far down there. And then the next one was sin is always worse than the sinner expects it to be. And how do we see that in that parable? Well, he, you know, he left thinking life was going to be great mm. with all this money going to the far country, and, and uh, he didn't expect that he was going to be poor. And mm. um, You could not have stopped him on the way out. Yeah. He was pretty determined that that's where he wanted to be, and it was the grass is greener on the other side, and it is always worse in the center. Do we see that looking back? I mean, looking back, I just see that yeah. all the time because I, I don't even sometimes think about, sometimes sin blindsides us and we just are kind of uh, inadvertently going along with something and we never think it'll catch up with us. Mm -hmm. I've done that so many times, just, um, you know, um, made a league with, with someone that was ungodly or decided to go to a certain place and not really thought about it very much. Uh, who's ever going to know about that, you know? And there are amazing ways in our world that our sin finds us out. And the scriptures say that. Your sin will find you out. And it is always, always worse than the sinner expects it to be. And then the last one is the positive one. Mm -hmm. Sin can be overcome. Mm -hmm. But it took that young man coming to himself mm -hmm. in the pig pen and deciding that he was that the servants in his father's house had bread enough and to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger, wishing I could eat the pig's food. And so once he became rational in a spiritual way, and, and it, we become spiritually, morally insane when we walk away from God, you have to come back to yourself and become spiritually sane, and that's what he did. And then I think Caleb made the point, you try and stop him yeah. as he goes back home. And he is going home because mm -hmm. he has come to himself. So what comments do we have so far about about those points about sin? Do we have any? Um, Vicki Yoakum said, we sang yield not to temptation in our study. Yielding is sin. Um, very good. That 
goes along with that. That's the most recent one on this. Okay. Now, I wanted to talk just for a minute about Genesis 1 to 3. And this is when, of course, sin came into a perfect world. And the devil told Eve a lie in chapter 3. And it was about the consequence of sin. And first off, he asked her a leading question. Has God told you not to eat of the trees of the garden? And that's not really what God, you know, the devil was just um, implicating God there mm -hmm. and saying something that God did, didn't really say. And lots of times people around us, sinful people do that in our world mm -hmm. today, um, make God out to be mean yeah. and, um, and condescending. And that's not what God was with Eve. And she admitted, he has said we could eat of all the trees of the of all the fruit of all the trees of the garden except for this one. And so we're going to talk about how the devil lied and what, especially one word that he inserted that made what God, that turned what God said around. But first off, um, the devil made Eve think some things, and we kind of talked about this in our study the other night. He made her think... Um, First off, that's not fair. God's clamping you down in a way that is unfair to you. How do people today think that God's not fair? You know, one of the things we talked about was the whole idea of people think that God wants them to be happy and that that's just their overarching idea about God and anything that doesn't make them happy, well, that can't be from God or, you know. I think that's probably uh, maybe the number one lie of the devil today is that God would like us to be happy. Mm -hmm. You know, God wants us to be holy, mm -hmm. and he doesn't necessarily, uh, and, con and happy eternally, right. content eternally. But happiness eternally is not equal to happiness for the moment. Mm -hmm. And so God wants us to sometimes be unhappy in the moment. Mm -hmm. So... <sighs> I also think that he made the devil think, that he made Eve think, you should be a little bit more open-minded. You shouldn't be so narrow-minded because he ended up saying, oh, no, don't think that this is going to make you die. This is going to make you wise, mm -hmm. like God or like the gods. So he was saying, open up your mind a little bit. Think big. Stop thinking so narrow about specific commands and think about how that you could have a whole world of wisdom open up to you if you would think a little bit more liberally. Mm -hmm. Tammy uh, commented, Satan put God in a negative light in Eve's eyes. And that's yeah. what he That's what, he what he's doing in all mm -hmm. these things. And then he also said, you can be better, you can be stronger. You can be, you can be stronger and, and not... Um, submissive and weak as to think that really God's way is the only way. You're, you're stronger than that. And then uh, don't be content with less. Look at this fruit. And Eve did look at it and she saw that it was looked good. And she saw, she thought that it would taste good. And she desired it because she thought it would make her wise. So the devil still says don't be content with less. That You only live once. Go get everything that you can in this lifetime and stop being so constricted by the idea of God. So can you think of, of other, is that, is that 
about cover the, well, I know we, we can't really cover it, but those <laughs> are some of the ways that uh, the devil's lie sounds like the lies that we're still hearing in our society today. And then um, the word not, I have to remember here that Eve was hearing the first lie that was ever told. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, we have the advantage when we're tempted because we can look back, as as 1 Corinthians 10 says, and see that our temptations are the same as the devil has been hurling at people for hundreds of years. Eve didn't have that. Eve didn't even have really a picture of death mm -hmm. yet. So I'm sure she didn't understand what all God meant when he said, if you eat this, you will die. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of advantages, but yet his instruction was very plain. And I believe that, that we have the, um, the scripture implies that Adam and Eve knew God, that they had walked with him in the garden because mm -hmm. it wasn't anything uncommon for God to come and walk in the garden right. and say, where are you? Yeah. So I think they knew God. I think they knew his authority. I think that all of that is implied because if they had not known, then it would not have been a sin against his authority, mm -hmm. and it obviously was. So the devil took what God said, and God said, you will surely die, and he said, you will not surely die. So that word that he added was not. And just quickly, I wanted to mention some of the sins in our world today in which the devil inserts that word as he implores us to participate. He says, Sexual activity will not hurt your marriage. Whereas God said in 1 Corinthians 6 that it will hurt you because it is a sin against the body and it will obviously hurt your marriage. He says homosexuality will not harm your body or your soul. Instead, it's a healthy and loving lifestyle choice. It's wiser, just like the devil said to Eve. Whereas Romans 1 tells us that homosexuality is harmful it is vile affection and those who do such and not just homosexuality but the sins listed mm -hmm. there in that chapter are worthy of death mm -hmm. and then he says lying is not always damaging um friend and i were talking about that this week is it sometimes okay to lie it's never okay to lie lying is always damaging but the devil would like to insert that word not in there whereas revelation 21 8 says all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Sometimes choosing integrity, the devil would say, is not an option. Sometimes I find myself in a spot in which it is absolutely necessary for me to, to be compromising in my integrity. Whereas Micah 6 verse 8 tells us that we can love justice and walk humbly with God. Um, one doctrinal knot that the devil likes to put in there is that baptism is not essential for our salvation. He loves to throw that in there mm -hmm. and has done that to the point that 98% uh, of the world of Christendom, the broad world, would believe that baptism has nothing to do with our salvation. But the Holy Spirit said it through Peter, many places in the mm -hmm. New Testament, but through Peter in 1 Peter 3.21, baptism does 
also now save us. Mm -hmm. The devil would love to throw that word not. Baptism does not save us. And then um, we talked about the entertainment world. This movie will not affect me. Mm -hmm. I can watch this whatever it is, profanity, homosexuality. I can laugh at that with the world a little bit. It's not going to affect me. I know what's right and wrong. Whereas God would say through the Proverbs writer, uh, as, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Mm -hmm. It will affect us. So those are some of the knots, a few of the knots that the devil would throw in, and we could go on and on. Are there more examples? Did someone say? Uh, no, well, there's a flood of comments. Mm -hmm. Let me read some of these. Um, Vicki says some people think God is unfair because he has so many rules. Um, and then Holly um, Smith said, Caleb said that God gives us rules to help us to happiness. Um, Hannah um, says people who scoff at righteous living today want you to think that sin makes you wise, just like Satan told Eve. Mm. Um, and then Erica said, how often does the world say, I can't help this, or I was born this way, yet Psalm 1 makes clear we choose our path. Mm. I was about to just reference Psalm 1, too, because of what Hannah said about the scoffers. You know, we can start compromising, and um, uh, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffful, mm -hmm. the scornful, so the scoffing or the scornful. I'm going to make a new <laughs> word there, both of those. But, you know, um, the scoffers today, and I, you know, I don't want to, um, to make a broad category of, age-wise and um, and be discriminate discriminatory here but um, you know a lot of people your age <laughs> Millennials yeah. a lot of people your age are um, have have grown up in an era where um, tolerance has been such a ruler tolerance has been the trump card that there is a lot of scoffing at those of us who would think that God expects us to keep rules mm -hmm. and that um, it it is the new wisdom to be able to step outside of God's box as it were and to decide ourselves what is really palatable for our society as far as religion is concerned. And let's make this book somehow fit into our world of tolerance. That's wisdom of, of millennials and of many people today. So I think that's what these comment. I think that's, that's what they're saying. And I know that uh, lots of times in social media, if you make a strong statement, even quote a Bible verse, about um, sins that are particularly uh, um, political, politicalized, is that a word? Sins that are um, politicized, I think would be yeah. the word. Yeah, same thing. Um, yeah. Okay. So I think that um, homosexuality, abortion, those things that we hear a lot about on the news, um, when we might just quote a verse that would be condemning of those sins, what God has said about those sins, oh, you're backward. You're not forward thinking. Mm -hmm. This is 2017. Let's be a little bit more tolerant. Let's be a little bit more loving. When really, love is saying to people, there is truth, 
and we're going to be accountable for it. Mm -hmm. And so encouraging and thus encouraging people to stand for what God has proclaimed as truth because it will judge us in the last day. Stephanie mentioned as, as one of the lies, another huge lie, truth is not fact. Truth is relevant and subjective, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of, kind of goes it's to what you're throwing saying. Throwing not in there, right. Say, yeah. Okay, um, just interrupt me if you need to. Okay. So the verse in Genesis 3 that first mentions the escape route is Genesis 3, verse 15. Go ahead and read that if you're there. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this was a prophecy of Calvary, really, where Satan's head was crushed at Calvary because of the ultimate resurrection. Jesus only had a temporary bruise that wasn't mortal, a heel bruise, that is, mm -hmm. because of the ultimate victory of the tomb. So Genesis 3.15 then opens up this door to the escape route that we're going to be studying for the, the next 12 months. And you're going to study it all of your life if you study the Bible because mm -hmm. Genesis 3.15 is the door that begins to unfold God's scheme of redemption for us. John 1.29 in the New Testament, John introduced Jesus by saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So from Genesis 3.15, going throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament the, to the gospel, then we still have the same plan unfolding the plan that God devised before the creation of the world we're to learn in the case that man would sin and of course in in God's um, um, all-knowing um, nature he knew that we would sin and so he had prescribed a way even before the foundation of the world and we find that unfolding as the Lamb of God comes and I wanted to bring out the Lamb of God there because this is about blood and we are going to see the Lamb's blood all the way through the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. So then, um, oh, in Exodus 12 um, is when the blood's covering first, um, it first made God uh, redeem people. And that is when the Passover was first instituted. And I love that in Exodus 12, 13, um, God said, When I see the blood mm -hmm. on the doorpost, I will pass over you. And so we're going to, that theme of blood is going to be continued all the way through the Old Testament. And then the Lamb of God comes, and his blood then is, we're going to see, poured out at Calvary in our behalf so that we might have redemption from sin. The next one, number four, said read Deuteronomy 12 and Leviticus 17, highlighting the verses that tell us where the life is. And we're not going to read all those, Lindsay, but what verses did you put down there? Um, in Deuteronomy 12, I put verse 16 and verse 23. Okay. Um, that talk about don't eat the blood and the life's in the mm -hmm. blood. Then Leviticus 17, um, got 10, 11, 12, and then kind of a reference in verse 14. Okay. All right, I put 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. But all of those tell us that the life is in the blood, and they were not to eat the blood. I wanted to just mention here, as I was studying, I came across uh, some religionists today who believe that we shouldn't have a blood transfusion 
because the life is in the blood. And so one person's blood should not be let out for another person because that's taking the life from one person. What uh, Do you have a, a thought about that? Well, for one, this is the old law. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's not applicable to us. But for two, it, it wasn't talking about blood transfusions. I don't, I don't believe. I mean, that wasn't even a possibility. Right. We um, were talking about um, animal blood in mm -hmm. the second place. And then we weren't, weren't talking about transfusions. It was about eating and drinking. It was about ingesting blood. So it wasn't about any modern life-saving technology. And, but primarily, your first reason was a very good reason yeah. we're in the old law here. So then, notice the following New Testament verses, and it said, Beside each citation lists the commodity that was purchased by the blood, or what the blood did in each of those instances. And we, uh, Lindsay, when you were leading our local study here, you had looked up the Greek word every single time in these verses, and so I'm just going to let you have it here because you did a great job Okay, that. thank you. Well, one thing that I noticed about these that I mentioned in our study is that, um, with just a couple of exceptions, these are all different Greek words. Um, even though they're talking so much about the same idea, which to me was just interesting that so many different words were used to express um, these ideas. So the first one in Matthew 26, 28 is forgiveness. Um, and that Greek word means deliverance, pardon, sending away, a letting go, or a release. Um, and I, I, to me, just looking at the Greek really gives you a mental picture of, you know, the, the concept behind these words. Um, and you well, really go ahead and say one. about that concept because... Um, if it's a release, then that implies an imprisonment. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, in Revelation 1.5, the word is uh, freedom from our sins. The Greek word there means to loose, to untie, or to release. So that gives you the idea that you were shackled to something or bearing a weight that, that, um, that you were released from. Um, Acts 20.28, 20, um, the church was purchased. Um, and that word purchased means to acquire, to earn. Um, and, and we know that's a beautiful verse that talks about, in fact, I think that mentions, well, all of them mention blood, but the, the church was purchased with his blood. So mm -hmm. he acquired us mm -hmm. um, by his blood. Um, Ephesians 1, 7, there's well, two of them there. Redemption, um, which means release affected by the payment of a ransom. And so you get the idea of, of someone who was um, um, taken and, and had to be purchased back. Um, and then forgiveness is the same word that was in Matthew 26, 28. It means the same thing, deliverance, pardon, sending away, um, release. Um, Colossians 1, 14 um, are the same words as Ephesians 1, 7 for redemption and forgiveness of sins. Um, 1 Peter 1 9 um, is a ransom, um, which no, means. No, 18 and 19. Oh, sorry. Right? 18 19. Okay. You're right, yeah. Um, is ransom, which means to liberate or to deliver. Um, Revelation 5 9 um, is also ransoming, but a different word, um, which means um, buy or I buy or to purchase. Um, Romans 3 25 is redemption. Um, and propitiation, um, which is the you know word we don't use as much, but it, it's a sin offering that appeases um, the wrath of God. Um, 
which is what the word propitiation means there. Uh, am I going too fast? No, or keep this going? is really okay. good. You're doing, okay. you're doing a good job. And if they need us to repeat something, we will. Okay. Um, Romans 5, 9 is justification, which means to make righteous. Um, Ephesians 2.13 um, is nearness to God, um, which just means near, um, as opposed to the far-off position that it, it mentions there that the Gentiles had, um, which we are. Um, Colossians 1.20 is reconciliation, um, which uh, is definition in Greek is to reconcile completely, and then peace, um, which just means to make peace or to reconcile. On that one about um, reconciliation in Colossians 120, um, didn't you mention the other night that it was it was similar to moving from one state to another? It was a transitioning, and which reminds me of that he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness mm -hmm. into the kingdom of his dear son, from a condition of being um, enemies of God in the enemy camp to a camp where even though we've egregiously offended him, he has uh, taken us again yeah. and put us in his arms. Okay, go ahead. First um, John 1.7 is cleansing, um, and that word just means to make clean. And then Revelation 12.11 is conquering, um, to conquer, prevail, or overcome. So as you were saying all of those things, you made it vivid for me. We'll let these ladies comment too, but you made all this really vivid for me, and I pictured in my mind that I was a hard-driven slave, far, far away from anything peaceful, far, far away from anything uh, comforting, in a dirty, because he had to clean us up, I was, I, I was in a dirty dungeon of a, of a jail, of a, of a prison, and I was shackled there, and I had egregiously offended my original master and he's very angry at me and then so I, I had a, a power there was a powerful lawyer or attorney who was very intent on keeping me shackled there the um, you know the the DA was was very much <laughs> not on my side and that was the situation that I was in, and there's nothing I could do about it until Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then he came in, and, and I know that this is not an exact analogy, but all these words would bring this, this picture to mind. And he came in. And even though I was the one who had caused all of that, I was the one, it wasn't that I was a victim. Mm -hmm. I was the one who had committed the sins that put me there. He came in, and because of his blood, because of the a tremendous ransom price he was willing to pay for me. All that was gone away, and I was moved, not only freed from that prison so I could work my way back to some sort of, of peace with the master, but that he was appeased. His wrath was mm -hmm. gone, and in fact, he was willing to take me in and just put me in as a... I think Abigail said this in, um, when she was, was talking to King David. She said, I know that you are in God's blanket of life. So he was willing to, a bundle of life is mm -hmm. what she said. So he, he was willing to take me from all of that and wrap me up in a clean blanket and hold me as his child. And I love to think about it that mm -hmm. way. 
Yeah, I think it's healthy routinely to just go over these words because it really helps you appreciate where you mm-hmm. were. Help and, help, and, and put yourself really there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't stand any one of those characteristics that you read about. I don't want to be dirty mm-hmm. for very long. I don't want to be, I, I cannot stand to be tied I want to be able to move. Mm-hmm. All of those, if we if we personally put them sort of in a physical context, and then we say spiritually, that's what we were. And then he took us not just to, to a place where we could start working our way back to him. He put us in his blanket and mm-hmm. took us, and I, I love that. So do we have comments? Um, the Maple Hill Church of uh, I guess this Those is their, their, their ladies, group yeah. together. Um, say, love Ephesians 2.13. We were far from Christ, but we're brought near by his blood. Just love that thought. Good. Um, then, let's see. Stephanie says, I love the imagery in these verses. It would be better to be treated as a slave by God than even as a friend by the devil, much less a slave. Um, and then D says, I well remember the night I was baptized. I knew my sins were grievous. I knew I was not deserving of such wonderful love that everything I had ever done could be washed away as I rose from the water. Very good. Very good comments. Moving along, Leviticus 16, we were to highlight every mention of blood or atonement. I'm just going to say it's in verse 6, 10, 11, 14, 15, 16, 18, 19, 24, 27, 30, 32, 33, and 34. Is that about what you got? That's almost Close. every verse. Yeah. Yeah. And so, as and, and uh, verse 33, though, is the verse that um, encapsulates all of those. Because, you know, we got sprinkling of the... Um, Mercy seat of the tabernacle of the altar by putting blood on the of the bulls and goats on the horns of the altar, sprinkling blood on it seven times. Atonement for Aaron, atonement for the priests, atonement for the people, and in those verses you find all of those things listed. But then verse thirty-three. Go ahead and read verse thirty-three. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. So that is a list of the things that were described in detail Mm -hmm. through the top part of the chapter. And he just kind of sums it up right there. And all of this was done to cleanse all of these things for his service. To be used to sanctify them, set them apart from common things to be used for his service. For instance, the um, the metal that was in the, um, the altar or the wood that was in the mercy seat, the, all of those things were just common elements, mm-hmm. but they weren't common anymore mm-hmm. after the atonement was made for them because that cleansed them, set them apart from common things and elevated them to be used in his in service for God and we're going to find out how that we are cleansed elevated to be used in service to God so in that question we were supposed to look up the meaning of kafar which is the Hebrew word for atonement the one that's used primarily in these verses and I looked that up and uh, what'd you get for that Lindsay? Um, I got appease, cover over, pacify, make propitiation, um, to cover, to condone, to placate, to cancel, to cleanse, to forgive. <laughs> okay, you got a lot, a lot of words. Of words. <laughs> I, um, I think that the literal meaning is the code or cover over. 
that's literally, but then you apply that spiritually, and it's all those other things that you mm -hmm. said to appease, to um, atone for. It's a verb, and it's used 101 times in the Old Testament, 44 times in the book of Leviticus. So it's all over the book of Leviticus. And it means the sins were, um, or the dirt, the, the um, filth of the world was cleansed, covered over, no more to be remembered, so that these um, people and tools that were in the, in the tabernacle were sanctified, set apart for God's, for the use by God for spiritual things. So I, I looked at the word sprinkled there, and we kept reading over time, uh, uh, every time that Aaron was getting blood on his finger and sprinkling how many times? Oh, I don't it's know. It's always seven, seven. Seven times. So that's the number of completeness. So he was sprinkling blood seven times. I, I, I was studying, and I don't even really know why I was here. Maybe it was because I think Sunday morning we read from Isaiah 53. Mm -hmm. And as we were reading that, I'm going to turn over there, Isaiah 53 um, and verse 12, I got that sprinkling there. Therefore... And this is talking about Jesus. Of course, this is a messianic prophecy about the cross. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Okay, that's one verse that I wanted us to look at, because it's, that's um, he poured out his soul. And that word really there... Uh, more literally, is he poured out his life. He poured out his life on the cross. So what was poured out on the ground at the cross? His blood. His blood. And in the blood is the life that we just now talked about. So I thought that that was, I thought about that Sunday as we were reading that. He poured out his life to death. So the life was in the blood. And then Isaiah 52, just one chapter before that. In verse 15, it says, So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. So I love that word sprinkle there because all of these implements in the tabernacle had to be sprinkled with the blood. And it says here that he will sprinkle many nations. I'm so glad that... More nations get to be sprinkled with the blood than just the Jews of the Old Testament because yeah. I'm not a Jew. And I love that um, the sanctification is for, the sprinkling is for many nations, the sprinkling of the lifeblood that we read about in the very next chapter. Are there comments about any of that? D says, I sometimes think the simplicity of the blood of Christ being our salvation today makes it difficult for the world to understand compared to the old law. Um, Whitney says, some of the things I saw here were that God's, and I think that's in Leviticus, mm -hmm. um, some of the things I saw here were that God's planning is detailed, how much work it takes to appear clean before the Lord from our sins, and now, as then, there was only one path to atonement. And Very all good. steps must be followed to obtain it. Very good. Now then the next one is Hebrews 9 to 13, and there's... This is just such a wealth of 
uh, information about atonement here, mm -hmm. blood, remission. So we were supposed to look up the Greek word that's used for remission in these passages, and that's aphesis, and write it here. And this time it's not a verb, it's a noun. And what did you think that means? Um, I got deliverance, pardon, sending away, letting go, release. Okay. I have a dismissal or a release. And we find that in a bunch of places. We find it in 9-7 where it says only the high priest went and only once a year into the most holy place. And he could not go in there without blood. And in 9-12, Jesus entered not with the blood of bulls and goats but with his own blood. And then in 9, 13, and 14, I'll let you do 10 when we get there. 9, 13, and 14, if the blood of bulls and goats can do this, how much more can the blood of Christ cleanse us? And in 9, 15, a death has occurred that redeems. In 9, 18, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. So the second covenant is obviously going to be inaugurated with blood. In 9, 19 to 21, we have examples of how Moses purified with blood. In 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or no forgiveness, no life, because life is in the blood. 9, 25, Jesus didn't have to go uh, once a year with the blood, with blood that was not his own, with the blood of bulls and goats. And then what would you get in 10? Um, 10, I got verse 4. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay. Um, verse 18. Is that 4 or 14? I had 14. Is it it's four? 4? Okay. All right. Um, verse 18 doesn't say remission in ESV, but I thought it might. I didn't look it up in other versions, but oh, it, it says where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Mm -hmm. um, and then verse 29 um, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Okay, what about 19? Did yours have anything about blood in 19? Oh, yes, I dismissed that one. Our confidence to enter the holy place mm -hmm. is because we have his blood, okay? That's all I got for 10. Okay, go ahead with 11 and 12. Uh, I didn't get any in 11. I got sprinkled blood at the Passover in 29, and that is Moses keeping the Passover. Does yours say sprinkle blood in 29. verse 29? By faith, Moses kept the Passover. Do I have the wrong verse for that? Uh, 28. But 28. Yes, it does say. Okay. By faith, he kept the okay. Passover. All right. the blood. So let me change yeah. that to 28. Okay. And then did you get any in 12? 12. Um, I got verse 4. You're struggling against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay. Um, and verse 24, um, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and then to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Isn't it funny how I, I mean, you missed the couple that I got. I missed the couple yeah. that you got because it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's just everywhere. Okay. And then 1311, the bodies of animals whose blood was brought into the holy place were burned outside the camp. And then I love 13.12. Jesus suffered outside the camp, outside the gate, in order to sanctify us with blood. And then I got verse 20. Did you get that? Mm -hmm. The blood of the eternal covenant is mentioned in 13.20. So those are the places where blood or... And, you know, we could talk for a whole hour about each one of those. 
But let's go ahead and talk about Matthew 27 because I wanted us to get to the innocent blood here. Um, and this is the account of the offering of our blood sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And I wanted us to locate the phrase innocent blood in the passage. And that was that verse 4? Where it's actually mentioned that it was innocent blood? Um, verse 4 says, yeah, Judah yes, says, um, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Okay. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Okay, so he, he there just admitted the one who started the ball rolling. Well, obviously, um, you know, we, we talk about the crucifixion and we say God did it and we say the Jews did it and we say our sin did it and we say Jesus did it himself because he was a willing sacrifice. But the one who physically kissed Jesus and started that ball rolling that night was Judas. Mm -hmm. And he is the one who comes back and says it was innocent blood. And, of course, they're not going to take that money back. And, um, and then in a... Um, in an amazingly uh, picturesque uh, account here, they bought a field of blood with, uh, because it was bought with blood money. It was still called the field of blood some 30 years later as Matthew was writing this. It was still called the field of blood, and it was bought with the money that was paid for innocent blood because Judas from the other side, from the enemies of Jesus, proclaimed him innocent. And then one of our sisters, Virginia, mm -hmm. actually made a list of all of the people who were from the enemy camp who in Matthew 27 and Luke 23 declared Jesus innocent right there on the spot, mm -hmm. just as he was dying, right before he died, or right after he died. People who were, were causes, actually catalysts, some of them, for the death of Jesus, who said, I know that he's really innocent. Mm -hmm. And so what? who are those people? Um, Judas Iscariot in the verse we just read in verse 4. Read verse four. four. Yeah. Um, Pontius Pilate in Luke 23, verse 4, uh, and then a couple of places in John as well. And in Matthew 17, 23, and 24, um, I, I think that those were in Matthew 27, verse 17, and 23, and 24. Yeah, it um, says, so, so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? But then he said, and then he said Why, no what evil has he man. done? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. evil has he done? Okay, so Pilate, and then who? Um, Herod in Luke 23 15. Um, okay. Pilate spoke that one. Um, about, he said he, said he couldn't sent, find he anything. He back to me, yeah. yeah because he like couldn't that. find any evil in him. Okay. Um, and then Pilate's wife in Matthew 27, 19, okay. where she said, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because mm -hmm. of him today in a dream. Okay. Um, the thief in Luke 23, 41, um, talked about, is that where he talked about, you know, we suffer, you know, our suffering is just because we're guilty, but his is I not. I have verse 47, which is at 41 or 47. You're probably right. See, now when this, no, that's the centurion. It is You're 41. Right. Okay, Luke 23, 41 is the thief. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, the centurion, Luke 23, 47. Mm -hmm. And verse 54 of, I have him also in 54 of Matthew 27. So I think he's there too. I don't know if you're there, Matthew. It, it, 
But he's definitely in one of those <laughs> places. I think he's in verse 54 of Matthew yeah, the 27 cent, as well. It says the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus mm-hmm. saw the earthquake and what took place. Mm-hmm. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of and God. And I think that's where she got the Roman guards mm-hmm. was from that verse because it says the people who were watching Jesus, the mm-hmm. people who were guarding Jesus in that verse. So we've got the Roman guards and the centurion in verse 54 of Matthew 27. So there, right there, we've got Judas, Pilate, Pilate's wife, the centurion, the guards, the thief, Herod Antipas, and all those people were on the other side of the aisle. And right there at the time of Jesus' death, they, in, in some private setting or a public setting, they said, this man was innocent, righteous. The centurion even says he was the son of God. Um, we've got some really strong descriptive words of Mm -hmm. Jesus' innocence. And so it was innocent blood in a very big way there. And, you know, there are other people from the other side of the aisle who later confessed his innocence, including Paul the Apostle, including James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in him during his lifetime. And um, so we have lots and lots of witnesses of the innocence of the blood of Jesus. Other comments about that from? Um, well, not about that, but Alyssa says the lamb in Exodus 12, 5 had to be a male without blemish, and our lamb was spiritually without blemish, 1 Peter 1, 19. And then Whitney says five times it's mentioned about him being the king of Israel or the son of God. It seems his only crime was that the people did not want a ruler like we sometimes choose when we sin. Very good. And then it says list five of events in the life of Jesus in which he purposefully and victoriously maintained the innocence of his blood. What I mean by maintaining the innocence of of his blood, I don't mean claiming the innocence of his blood, but he kept his blood innocent so that he could be the perfect Lamb of God, as John introduced him in John 1, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He could not have taken away the sin of the world if he had been blemished, just like Alyssa just now said. So, what are some times in his life? And we're going to just take it for granted that the temptation is one mm-hmm. in Matthew 4. What are some other times in Jesus' life when he could have very easily have um, dirtied his blood, have been a spotted lamb, but he refused to give in to temptation? So what do you think about that? Um, well, or y'all tell us what you think too. There you go. Um, go ahead. I, one thing that, that we talked about was when he was in the temple and he was angered, um, about what they were doing with the money and the, the sacrifices. Um, he controlled his anger. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have very easily let that get out of hand. Um, there was a lot of times where people tried to trick him or test him, mm-hmm. um, and every time he controlled himself and said just the right thing. In Matthew twenty two eighteen, he even said, Why are you tempting me? Why are you tempting me? He recognized that this was a door where he could have... Um, done something he could have said something or done something that would have made his whole trip to earth be in vain or even just thought something and he know? yeah and he had to we have to to admit that that was a possibility mm-hmm. because otherwise all that Matthew 4 would not have been a temptation mm-hmm. So he said, why tempt you me in Matthew 22:18 as the Pharisees were testing him okay what else um, he got all kinds of antagonism from um, Pharisees and scribes, mm-hmm. and you know we know ourselves how difficult it is to to maintain your mm-hmm. holiness in those times. And John seven five tells us 
really that um, he had brothers. Mm -hmm. And then we know that there was not one brother ever mentioned in any of the pre-crucifixion ministry of Jesus. And we, by, we're we almost certain that there was not one who even believed in him at the time of the cross, believed that he was the son of God, because Jesus turned the care of his mother over not to a brother but to an apostle, John. So his family rejected him, we're told, John 7, verse 5. Um, and and we mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened there? Oh, was this the one about Peter? Well, no, that wasn't. Um, this was just when, you know, he was crying out to God in his prayer. Right. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. If there's any other way, I don't want to do this. And what were the apostles doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Yeah. I, I just cannot... Um, it's hard for me to fathom that. It's hard for me mm -hmm. to imagine myself going through something like that without sinning, without thinking, without... But our Lord, we know that He He resisted. He resisted those temptations because even right up to the cross, He could have done something mm -hmm. to have made um, His stay here on earth um, a wash because... It was temptation, but he did not. And then he said to Peter in Matthew sixteen twenty three, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's Satan. what I was thinking about. Yeah. Get thee behind me, Satan, Matthew sixteen twenty three. He actually I was looking at the Greek for that and it kind of is um him saying to Peter, You're being a stumbling block to me. I've got this purpose to accomplish. Please don't get in my way of accomplishing mm -hmm. this purpose. And then he said in John 8, 44, to the... John 8 is amazing to me. And I didn't think about this until today. But I was reading over this today in John 8. And it starts out... Um, read verse 31, Lindsay. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Get this. He is talking to Jews who, at, in verse 31, believed on him. Mm -hmm. And he said this to them. And I know that it's the same Jews who were talking back to him in verse 33 because it says they answered him, we are Abraham's seed and we were never in bondage to any man. This conversation right here is radical because mm -hmm. they believed in him in verse 31. And then by the time we get down to verse 59, they took up stones to cast at him. This is the same conversation. Look at verse 58. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. They had this conversation. And in verse 31, they believed in him. And in verse 59, they're taking up stones to stone him. I mean, that is a, a, a game-changing conversation there <laughs> that they were having in John chapter 8. And Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. He really hurt their feelings there in, in that chapter. But he said, you are representatives in my face of the devil. And that, that conversation there had to be at least one catalyst of Calvary as, as they mm -hmm. changed right from verse 31 to verse 59, mm -hmm. something that I had, had not ever noticed before. So these were Jews that believed on him, and then a few minutes later, as it were, were ready to stone him. And, as, and 
Jesus got away from them, obviously, because in 9-1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. He got away through the middle of them. I guess Calvary, um, I mean, 50, verse 59 could have been the end for Jesus if that had been mm -hmm. God's plan. Mm -hmm. But he uh, escaped and then uh, continued his ministry and did a lot more things that we needed to know about that were in the, the plan before Calvary happened. So I thought that was interesting. What other comments do we have? Our time is up. Um, a couple of people mentioned his submission to his parents. Okay. Um, and, and Luke 2 was mentioned. Well, that probably was hard for the Son of God right. at times mm -hmm. to, to submit. Um, Whitney um, mentioned praying before facing the cross. He had to be obedient against the human will to survive. Okay. Um, Anne says he could have refused to die, calling 12 legions of angels. Um, Sandy said from Matthew 26, 47 to 53, he could have stopped his own arrest. Um, Genevieve says, talked about the Pharisees testing him in Mark 3. Um, Alyssa says at his arrest, Peter presented a temptation by cutting off Malchus' ear. He could have just went with it and fought back, but he actively opposed the temptation to escape. Um, and then Stephanie mentioned the, the um, driving out the money changers again. Okay. Very good. Two more very interesting things I want to mention, and then it'll be yours. Um, how many pieces of silver, do you remember, was the price? 30. 30 pieces of silver, and that was the exact price of a slave, a wounded slave, in the Old Testament. Now, I know that the, the price of slavery varied from, in like, in the day of Joseph. I think Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, but... In, when the covenant was given from Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20 and 21, the price of a gourd slave, like if your ox got out and put his horn through my slave, then I would have, you would have to pay me. Whose ox got out? Mine? I can't remember whose ox got out. Yes. But whoever ox Maybe, got yeah. out would have to pay the other one. Right. 30 pieces of silver. So the price of a wounded slave was forevermore then in jury in um, the Old Testament Levitical system. The price of a wounded slave was 30 pieces of silver. I find that very interesting that that was the price that Judas covenanted with, haggled with for Jesus' blood in Matthew chapter 26. Um, in Zechariah 11, just go and look at this, ladies, because it's, it's just such a an extremely poignant prophecy in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. It says there that they're going to go back and forth about the price, and it's going to be silver coinage, as mentioned. Uh, the the uh, metallic composition there is silver. It could have been gold or brass or anything else, but it was silver. And the number of coins there is mentioned in that prophecy about the, the selling of Jesus at the time of um, Judas dealing with um, the Sanhedrin there. So I thought that was just a very interesting prophecy about the price of the blood. And in Zechariah 11, it even talks about that this money was going to go to the potter. Mm -hmm. So what kind of field was it that they bought? It was a potter's, a potter's field. field. Yeah, so that's a very complete um, prophecy there of the selling of Jesus. So I thought that that was interesting and that it was the price of a wounded slave was the literal 
price of Jesus that day, who became our wounded slave. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. Hebrews 5, verse 8, the price of a wounded slave, and he became our wounded slave. So I thought that that was interesting. And then let's close with Hebrews chapter 12. Um, in verse 24, go ahead and read verse 24 if you're there, Lindsay. Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay, the sprinkled blood we read in Isaiah was sprinkled on all nations. And it says it speaks better things than the sprinkled blood of Abel. When was Abel's blood sprinkled? When he was killed by his brother. Mm -hmm. He was killed by his brother, and his blood cried out, it said, to God. And it was crying out for justice, for vengeance. Mm -hmm. And then it says that Christ's blood is sprinkled, and it cries out or speaks for better things than Abel's blood. And so Christ's blood cried out not for vengeance, but for mercy. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I love that, that it says this is better. This is better blood crying out than Abel's blood, because this is crying out for, for mercy and for our salvation. But verse 25, you got to get this, lady. See, then, that you do not refuse him that speaks. That blood speaking, do not refuse that. For if they could escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. So that blood, Jesus, our Redeemer, is speaking from heaven. And it says we have an escape. But we don't have that escape route if we turn away from Jesus who's speaking from heaven. Okay, do we have any more comments? Um, let's see. Uh, Maria um, mentioned another, well, he's uh, a couple more about temptations that he faced. Um, and then Jenna, the, the final one here, says, Regarding those who were on the other side of the aisle prior to the crucifixion, 3,000 realized and proclaimed that Jesus was that innocent Lamb of God only 50 short days later at Pentecost. And some of those were on the other side of the aisle because Jesus said, you have taken him and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him. So he was talking about yeah. people on the other side of the aisle. Very astute, Jenna. Very good. Okay, we're going to close with a prayer. Before we do, let me go ahead and say that the October podcast will be on October 17th, which is, again, the middle of the month. We're doing the best we can here. We're going to try to move them toward the end of the month. But right now, we're going to be um, with you again on October 17th. Uh, Jennifer tells me we've already got a couple of the audio podcasts in the can. And uh, so the, we're, you're going to have access to those audio podcasts, she says, before the end of the month for sure. And then we'll try to make sure that we have those weekly, I believe, for the rest of the duration of the study. Um, and you, of course, just do whatever you can do. You'll get, you know, just study as much as you can, as much as you have time to, and you'll grow in proportion to the amount of time that you study. 
Um, for the completion of the studies, people are always saying, well, what does it mean? What, what do I have to do to complete the whole study? You don't have to do both podcasts if, to be a completer, to be a finisher. You have to do one or the other. So you could choose whichever one you want to do. But you know what? Everybody who studies will um, potentially grow just uh, to the degree that you're able to study. It's always going to help us mm -hmm. to grow. Thank you so much yeah. for being with us. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. This is a Digging Deep in God's Word production, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.